Okay, well, let's pray and then we will see what God has for us today. Lord, we thank you so much again for your word. We thank you uh, for your love for us, um, your patience with us, and Lord, your great and amazing gift of salvation uh, to us, Lord. And I pray that we would never uh, forget it or never uh, think of it lightly. In your name, amen. All right, so if you have your sheet from last week, uh, I didn't print off new ones, but if you don't, that's okay. Uh, we're, we're going to uh, look, um, I believe it was First Peter is where we were. Um, let me refresh my memory real quick. Is that where we were, Philippians? I couldn't remember where we had left off. Okay, then we will go off of your memory because it seems better than mine this morning. Well, we're looking down at the bottom of your paper, Joe. We, I, yeah, we stopped in Philippians because it was too important to rush through. So Philippians chapter 2. What did we talk about last week? We remember what was the main thrust of the 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 um, lesson on sanctification. Okay, there are two aspects of sanctification. The first aspect is what? What's no no? The first there's two aspects of sanctification. We are sanctified. No, no, no. Go down on your paper. If you have your paper, we are sanctified. Right. That's the second one. The first one is positionally, right? So we're sanctified positionally in Christ. And we're going to talk about that's where the lesson's going to uh, shift and go towards primarily today is the uh, positional sanctification we have in Christ. Uh, but we want to finish our conversation and we'll have more conversations about the progressive sanctification as we get going through um, chapters um, 6, 7, and 8. Okay. So, now we're, we wanted to finish the last couple um, ver- or books that we were looking at about progressive sanctification and how that works. All right, so Philippians 2, 12. Let me see here. So then, uh, we did, didn't we go over that one? Let me see here. I know where we stopped. We stopped on the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's, I believe, yeah. Let's go to Galatians, because I'm pretty sure we touched Philippians. So Galatians chapter number 5. Yeah, that's where we left off. Galatians chapter number 5, um, in verse 16 through 26. So someone would like to read uh, that section of verses 16 through 26. Go ahead, Mike. Okay, so this is a list of um, items that walking by the Spirit. Um, so sanctification is a thing given to us at salvation, and then it's also something that we walk in, we grow in. And verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And for the flesh is set its desires against the Spirit. So the idea is, even though our flesh, we've died to it, okay, and we're going to cover more about what that's talking about today, Dying to our flesh doesn't mean the sinful nature is gone and done away with. Okay, It doesn't mean that it's disappeared and we no longer struggle with it, or Paul would not have written this. 
okay? What this is talking about is there's an actual war within our bodies with the spirit and our old fleshly nature. Our imprisoned nature um, has been set free through justification, through salvation. Our sinful nature, our, des- uh, our life, our, the way that we could... Um, uh, the only way we could live was under that sin nature. Has been that has been broken, and you have been set free from it. Okay, we no longer are held bound by that. Okay, walk in the spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So our flesh is still tied to this mortal body. Okay. We still are a part of this mortal body, and our mortal, our mortal body has a, I think that's you, Joe. Somebody's getting called. That's the same ringer I have, but I know it's not mine. You got me worried there for a second. All right, so, um, <laughs> all right, so the, the spirit. Spirit that lives with inside of us. Now, this is something that's very important for us to understand. Who does the Spirit live inside of? Only believers, right? The Spirit does not indwell those that have not uh, put their faith and trust in Christ, those that are not justified. So the Spirit is only within those that are believers, that are saved. And so, with the Spirit's help, with its guidance, and that we walk through the Spirit, and that's in our, uh, our understanding and reading of God's Word and His, His desire for our lives, um, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And then Paul uh, really helps us out here and talks about what those desires are. Okay, and, and um, Mike read those for us, but he also helps us and gives us a glimpse on what does it mean to be, walk as a spirit-filled Christian or uh, a continual growing sanctified Christian, and that is walking in love, joy, peace, okay, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, uh, self-control. All of these attributes are what makes up a sanctified Christian and growing in it. Now, this, those characteristics are what should characterize our life, not the, the deeds of the flesh, okay? Morality and sensualness and idolatry and all of the self-gratifying uh, uh, deeds that the flesh desires, because the flesh uh, only wants to what? Promote itself, self, self. Everything's about self when it comes to the flesh. And when we walk through the Spirit, it's all about what? Glorifying God. Okay? Glorifying Him. And he spells that out again in the last two verses of chapter 5. If we live by the flesh, let us also walk... Or Sorry, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not be boastful. Okay? No boasting. Paul uh, talks a lot about not boasting. Because what's the natural tendency of believe uh, of people of humanity is I love more than this person does or I have more peace than this person or I have more joy or I have more long suffering and, and so therefore I'm more filled with the spirit than you are and we boast in ourselves when truthfully it's a work of the Spirit. And so this chapter of Galatians is great, and I'm, I'm hoping uh, here on the next uh, few years, whenever we get to it, that uh, when we preach through the book of Galatians, it'll be a, a very fun journey. Um, Paul covers a lot of amazing stuff, and this is one of them. Um, but this is talking about the, the walking in the Spirit as opposed to the flesh. And the reason why this is important is because it's a daily thing that we have to do is walk in the Spirit. Steve?
Yeah. Yet we steal credit from our Creator when we boast about anything. And when we understand that the Christian life all consists of Christ in our life, that we will only fulfill the lust of the flesh without the indwelling of the Spirit, and without His help guiding us and our, our working with Him. And that's where, um, that's where this unity comes. You know, the, the positional sanctification, that is given to us and cannot be taken away. And we're all on equal grounds. We are all positionally sanctified in Christ. But when it comes to the progressive sanctification, this has to do with the will of man. And the Holy Spirit works with inside of us and helps us. But we still have that human responsibility to obey. And we can suppress the Spirit. And we can push the Spirit aside to where we fulfill the flesh more uh, than we do uh, the Spirit. Yes, sir. Yeah, Paul, Paul talks about that in, uh, I believe it is in Galatians. Um, yes, only boast in Christ, okay? Now, so this is important. I don't want to spend too much time because I do want to finish this or Dean's going to be mad at me because he won't get, he'll, he's planning to teach next week. So if I don't finish my lesson, then I won't be, he, he'll, he'll have to wait another week. So, no, no, we got we got to, we can't stay too much time. So, um, the, the importance of understanding the two aspects of sanctification are, are such vital to the Christian. That one of them is positional and one of them is progressive. Okay? Um, First Peter. Let's go over there just real quick just to make one more point on this. First Peter 2. First Peter two twenty one through twenty five. Okay, someone, when you got, go ahead and read it, and then we'll jump into twenty one through twenty five. Okay, so very good. So we, that's in First um, Peter, chapter two. 21 through 25. Okay. So, we can see who is our example to live after. Christ. Okay. And we're going to see that through uh, our study today. And that's all what that section is about. We live and um, our sin and all of that has gone away with and our example is Christ. And it gives... Uh, this, what he, uh, what Peter is talking about here, is really the night of his, um, of his death in, in that whole circumstance. He was, he didn't try to defend himself. He was lied about. He was scoffed about, and he he lived righteously and holy. And he gave us an example to live after. And uh, as we see the life of Christ and His example, see. Uh, the writings in Scripture that are given to us by Paul and the other uh, writers of Scripture, we see the life of a Christian and how we are supposed to conduct ourselves. Okay, um, And we're going to talk about, um, as we keep going through uh, these this section, we're not going to do it completely today because it's not in our section, but... I want you to understand there's a there we we can sin as believers and we can actually fall away from Christ for long periods of time and still be a Christian okay there are beliefs out there that you get saved there's a massive transformation that takes place which is true um, but you immediately change 
are, you become a follower of Christ, and therefore you, the, the sin nature is, you know, you, you've defeated it, and, and you live uh, righteous, and, and nothing happens, and you, and you, you know, yes, we sin, and we, we fall from time to time, but, you know, we get right back up on our feet and walk. And that is the life of a Christian. But if a Christian goes wayward and goes off the tracks for a extended amount of time, whatever that would be, then everyone questions their salvation and says, uh, that person, there's no way they could be saved because, look, they're, they're following after their flesh more. Well, Paul wouldn't have written, don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, but the Spirit, if that's not a possibility for us to do as believers. And if we look, the Old Testament is filled with believing Christians, right? Believing people that had faith in God, that were believers, that the same way we are saved, they had faith in Christ, or faith in God, right? But what do we see about the life of Abraham? Fully, for there was never a long period of time where he struggled and fell against God or, or sinned? No. He cheated on his wife twice, had a son out of wedlock, okay? sold his wife into to to Egypt out of fear. All of this is in, in a, you know, and, and what, what are we, what's one of the heroes of the Old Testament that we always point to and say, I'd love to be like what? David. If you characterize your life as wanting to be a character like David, you need to set your goals higher, okay? David was not someone that we would want to model after. What was he? He was an adulterer, he was a murderer, he was a horrible father. Now, through Christ and through God, God used him. But this is the power of God in David's life, not uh, David doing anything amazing in and of himself. Okay? These men prove the fact that you can be a believer of God and saved uh, and fall away from Him. Now, I want us also to understand that that doesn't give us the free reign of saying, okay, well, I can trust Christ and I can live in sin and be just fine. Okay, What is the one characteristic that all of these men have that we can see in Scripture? At some point, they were convicted and came back. Right? Now, I want to just give a quick testimony of myself. I was saved at the age of uh, nine, I believe, somewhere in that range, um, and uh, grew up in a pastor's home, and at the age of 18, we moved to Utah with my dad, and my dad came down with cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer, and God took him home uh, about a year after we got here, so I was uh, about 19 years old well, when my dad died. My dad was my closest and best friend, okay? There was no one I was closer to as far as a man goes than my dad. Uh, and we, we had lots of dreams and plans of what we wanted to do for the cause of Christ here and so on and so forth. When he died, it hit me like a rock, and I ran from God like God was the meanest, worst thing I've ever known of. Okay, at the age of 19, and for over three years, uh, I fulfilled completely the lust of the flesh and had no desire for God or anything of God. But what I can tell you is that the Spirit of God was in me because when I would go to a place I shouldn't go, and I, again, I grew up in a pastor's home, so Going in certain places um, was not permitted, okay? And certain movies that you shouldn't watch were not permitted. And I was, uh, I didn't care anymore. And so, but as I was going in and fulfilling the lust of the flesh in my, the Spirit of God was still convicting me. I was suppressing that as as we read here in uh in galatians as we were in uh that i, I was fulfilling more the lust of the flesh than i was the the spirit and, and walking after him but the spirit was not just over in a corner 
not there. The Spirit was constantly convicting me. And you can get to a point as a Christian where you can suppress that quickly, but I always knew it was there. And after three years of many things going on, I uh, had gotten married and so on, um, a, a dear friend of mine uh, confronted me. The same uh, ideas what happened with David, right? He was confronted uh, about his sin with Bathsheba. Uh, and sometimes that's the way God uses it. But I was confronted with my sin and God began to work in my life to bring me back to a place of fellowship where I was having fellowship with Him and listening to the Spirit again. And the reason why I want to bring that up is we want to be careful as, as fellow Christians that we don't judge someone that's fallen, that's, uh, that's uh, maybe what we call backslidden or uh, walking in a sinful life and judge them as that person, there's no way they're saved because only a saved person will walk by the Spirit. Well, that's not the case. That's the way a saved person should walk. And that's the way we should encourage them to walk. But being progressively sanctified is different for every person. If we were all sanctified the same in our walk, there would not be a need for pastors, right? Because you're, you're just as where I'm at. Now, that doesn't mean that pastors, and let me clarify this very specifically, does not mean that pastors are more sanctified, all right, than the, the church members, okay? But pastors should be a, at farther along in their sanctification and growing. There are very strict guidelines for pastors in Scripture that you have to follow to be there, and those are a sanctifying growth uh, in, in your Christian life, okay? And there's, there's a baby Christians, there's, there's uh, toddler Christians, uh, and, and where we find Paul uh, talks about in Corinthians and in other places where he talks about you still are taking the milk of the Word and you're not feasting on the meat. And that's talking to sanctification. You're still acting as though you are a baby in Christ when you should be uh, eating the meat of the Word of God and growing and, and in your relationship with Him and not just at the fundamental basic points. Okay, Now, the reason why we can have really young pastors, okay, pastors in their 20s, uh, is that they were saved at a young age and, and have grown and, and learned. And there's people that are saved well into their 60s and 70s. And, and they're not going to be as far as along as a 20-year-old pastor or a 25-year-old pastor because of time spent with God okay, and, and, and a good relationship of obedience to Christ. All right, so... And we're going to talk about, that's going to, that subject's going to come up uh, multiple times as far as understanding that a Christian can fall away, a Christian can uh, not walk with God, and there comes a point as believers that we love them, we care for them, uh, and we begin to maybe share the gospel with them just to make sure that they are saved. Uh, but we care for them and love them. We don't throw them to the side and say, well, they're not saved, so we're just going to... No, we wouldn't do that with somebody we believed was an unbeliever. So if a Christian is struggling, we need to come alongside them. We need to encourage them. We need to love them. And when the Bible says talk to them or treat them like an unbeliever, that doesn't mean we treat them horrible. Because where do we find in Scripture that we treat unbelievers horribly? We don't, right? We treat them with love, care to bring them to Christ. And for those that are struggling and have fallen away because we have that sinful nature, um, we need to bring them and nurture them and love them back in, uh, into repentance and to a fellowship with Christ. Okay? All right. So let's get into chapter 6 of Romans, verse number 3. Okay, when Paul gives this phrase, or do you not know, this is a 
Like, this is something you should know. That's the idea given here. This is something you should know. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Okay? When it talks about baptism here, what do we believe it's referring to? What do we believe that the baptism is referring to? Do we know? Okay, good. Is it, uh, there's, there's two thoughts. It's a water baptism or a spiritual baptism. Which one do we believe that Paul is referring to here? Spiritual, okay. This is something that happens instantaneous. Everything we're going to read this morning is an instantaneous... So, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death. This is not speaking of water baptism, okay? This is speaking to uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you go to uh, Galatians 3, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27... It speaks to this, okay? Galatians 3, uh, verse 27. For all of you have been baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. So this is a baptism. Uh, it's a, um, a picture, an analogy. Paul does that oftentimes through the book of Romans and all of his writings. He gives us a picture, okay? Uh, the one of the uh, th- people I was studying gave the idea of like you were baptized, of, um, uh, you're immersed into your work, you're immersed into something, uh, you're consumed with it, okay, uh, and it consumes and it floods you, okay. So someone that says, "Man, that person is so consumed with work or immersed in their work." Uh, meaning that it's that's all that consumes their life. That's the concept Paul is giving us here. So, or do you not know that all of us who are baptized or immersed or filled, uh, you know, with with Jesus Christ, have been baptized into His death? There's two thoughts here. We are baptized into Christ. We are baptized into His death. Okay, and he. To expound upon this baptism into his death. What do we believe as we've been reading through this, and this is a good thing for us to think about, what do we believe Paul is getting at when he says we are baptized unto his death? What, what, what is that referring to? What, what are we looking at when it says that in verse 3? Yeah, so Christ, and he's going, to, he's going to answer the question. Okay, Paul loves to answer, ask a question and then answer. And he's going to answer that question, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. Okay? So we are baptized into his death. What happened with the death of Christ? What happened? Why did Christ die? Why, what, what happened at Christ's death for the believer? Yeah. Okay. Someone had to pay the price. And so when we are baptized into his death, it's as if we died at the same time Christ did on the cross. Okay. And that sin was done away with at that Okay, it's, it's it, the same. We are in Christ. His, we are baptized into Him. We are baptized into His death as, as if we were crucified with Him. Okay, verse number 4. Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death. Okay, what is it about the baptism... I mean, not the bat. Sorry, the the burial of Christ. That's so important. Why is the burial of Christ 
one of the five things that I make sure when we talk about the gospel, there's five things that I always uh, say are essential beliefs. Okay, the first is that we believe Jesus is God, right? We have to believe Jesus is God. Second, that Jesus lived a perfect, righteous life. Those two are, you can't have salvation without those two. The third is that Jesus died on the cross. The fourth is that he was buried. And the fifth is that he rose again. That buried, we don't want to ever take that out. Why? Why is the burial an important aspect of what Paul's teaching. Exactly. Okay. That that's so crucial. Because without his burial and understanding he was dead in the grave for three days, someone could say, like they tried to, well, he fell asleep, or he was unconscious, or he was in a coma, and then uh, he was uh, revived, you know, back to life. But was actually only in a coma. Well, you don't bury somebody that's in a coma, right? You bury someone that has no life in their body. And Jesus, when he was taken off the cross, was dead. And we know that through Scripture because what? He gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit and he died. Scripture tells us that. And he was buried. They wrapped him. They wept over him. Okay? We know, I mean, I'm assuming that everyone in this room has, uh, has been involved uh, with someone they know that's close that has passed away. And you can look at them and know that person is gone. They are no longer there. All right. When I was at the hospital with my dad, uh, and they ended up having to, uh, he, his brain had died, and so they pulled the, the life support off of him, and he passed away. When I saw him, no one had to tell me, your dad is no longer alive. I didn't need the red line or the, the, the line anymore on the graph to say that he is no longer living. You can tell there's no life in that person, okay? And so, yes, sir? Yeah, what did they say about him? He stinks. He's been in there four days, all right? He stinks. You sure you want to bring him back to life? <laughs> okay, Lazarus didn't want to come back. All right, so... That, that's important. So whenever we're giving the gospel and we talk about his burial, it is proof of his death. Okay? You not only could bleed and shed your blood uh, and then... Not, you had to shed your blood and die. They were the synonymous. Okay? We don't read anywhere in the Old Testament of the sacrifices given where they cut up the lamb and then set it over the side and bled all over the place and then they docked it back to life and sewed it back up and tried to you know, give it blood transfusions, right? No, it died on the altar. It was no more, okay? And, and that's very important. We were baptized into His... Uh, for uh, see verse four. Therefore, we have been buried with him. Okay, so the whole transaction that happened on the cross, we are immersed in that. Okay, we are buried with him through baptism into his death, so that as Christ raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too might we walk in newness of life oh wow i mean you talk about and then just this verse should be a, a, a cornerstone for the christian's life we are immersed into his death his burial and his resurrection what is this talking about? What is Paul grasping at? For if we have, verse number 5, for if we have become united with Him in His likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. So this is tying it all together for us and giving us a clear understanding of what happened at salvation. We were united into His 
death, his burial, and his resurrection. Our old self, our old body, and Paul talks about that as we get into verses 6 and 7. Our old self is done away with. It's buried with Christ. Okay, We no longer have to live under that old sinful nature because in verse 4 it says, so we too might walk. Okay, This is a, a sanctification walk in newness of life. We have a new life. We are no longer in the old life. The, con- the contrast between the old life and the new life is what? We're slaves in both lives. I don't, I, I don't want uh, to, to mislead you. Okay? We are slaves in both lives. Our old life we are a slave and our new life we are a slave. Okay? You will always be a slave. And this is a good thing. Okay? The old slave is a bad thing. Why? Why is the old? What's that? Yeah, we're slave to sin. Okay? Think back to the old you know, plantation times and slave owners. They had to do exactly what they were told. They had no choice. They weren't a servant where they could say, ah, I don't feel like it today. I don't want to do it. I'm going to take the day off. Right? No. When you were a slave, and uh, even in Bible times, when you were a slave, you did what you were told or there was great punishment. And you, that's all you were able to do was what you were told. It was great uh, restraint over you. And a lot of times there was shackles put upon you where you were, I mean, you were shackled and in to that master. That is the picture given. We were enslaved to sin, but when we are brought to newness of life, we, those shackles are done away with. The, the, the having listened to him, uh, the, the master of sin, uh, the master of your life at that time, that was no longer there. You no longer had to obey him. You had to, you have a new master, and that new master is Christ. Amen. What an amazing contrast. You have the master, which is Satan of sin, or you have the master uh, of your life, Christ. You know, the, the gospel speak to you cannot serve two masters, right? You can only serve one master, the flesh or God. All right, so we walk in newness of life. Um, one of the men that I was studying said, now, this doesn't mean that we don't no longer fall into sin. And I want to constantly bring this back to us because we will sin and we will uh, fall back into sin, um, but we can not. We can choose not to now. We can walk by the Spirit now. Uh, because of that new life. Now the difference is, and this is what this is what happens, is that old master comes back and asks you, "Hey, would you do would you do something for me?" He's kinder, you know. He has to be kinder now. Hey, you know, this is good for you to to come and help me here. All right, and we because of our nature is, was bound to that for so long that we, we sometimes will go and we'll, we'll do what the flesh would ask us to do because that's the desire that we have. But we have the ability now to say no. Before, we had no ability. That master was over us. We were shackled by him. Now he comes around in a different way and tries to persuade us to sin. But we have the ability because of Christ, and we have a new life, those shackles are gone and done away with to say no to sin. And that's where that sanctification lies and our growing in Christ is learning to say no more to sin and, and walking more in the Spirit. You know, and, and the, the thing, what you're talking about, Steve, is that's the, the, the wonderful blessing of sanctification on each life, okay? 
So that's where Christ has you, and that's wonderful. Okay? Now, if someone else listens to country music, does that mean they're less sanctified? No. Okay? Okay? Um, now, he's part of the elect. All right. So, um, there are songs, there are lyrics out there that are not God-honoring. There's no probably argument in here. Music, there's always an argument on, wow, that music, there's no way God, well, you can't say God would not be argued or honored by heavy metal because it's not in Scripture, okay? I don't prefer heavy metal, all right? Now, there's lyrics that we know God's not honored with, right? There's country songs that talk about cheating on your wife and killing people. This is not a God-honoring, you know, that's, that's obvious, all right? Now, um, there's other country songs that are just fine. There, there's, no, there's no moral to them that would be non-God-honoring. Um, so, those are, and this is a side topic, but this becomes to sanctification. And this is where we have to be careful as believers where Paul is talking that we don't boast. Well, I don't listen to this or I don't watch that. That doesn't mean you're better than I am. It's where God has you. And do you realize that if God is convicting Steve that he should not listen or watch these things, and he does... He's in sin. If you listen or watch the same thing, and that's not a conviction that God has put upon you, that doesn't mean that you are in sin. Am I, does that make sense? There are some things that we can't indulge in as believers. Across the board, it's sinful. But God has each person in a different position or different place. And maybe for one person, if they listen to a country song, it takes them to a place in their mind where they shouldn't be. And so they need to stay away from that music or, or rock music or whatever. And, but there's another person that they listen to that music and they enjoy it and, and it doesn't take their mind to a place where it shouldn't be. And so that's where that growth and sanctification is there and, and where each individual is different. Now, there are sins that affect everyone the same. And, you know, we can't watch an X-rated movie and say, well, this one doesn't affect me, you know, because I'm sanctified. I can watch naked people running around on the screen. No, that's not not good, all right? I don't care how sanctified you are. That's still bad. What are you saying, Dean? (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Want to make sure that you understand that, all right? Good. Okay, so uh, any, any questions or comments on verse number 4 where it talks about this newness of life? Verse uh, Ephesians 4.24 Ephesians 4 verse 24 talks to this as well. Okay, And putting on a new self which is a in the likeness of God and has been uh, has been credited in righteousness and holiness. What's that? Oh, sorry, created. Yep. All right. So the the beginning part and putting on the new self, the new life. You are a new creature. Okay. And this, we'll get into that, it talks about it specifically here in verse number 6. Knowing this, okay, this is a strong statement. You know this. This is that, it, the same idea if I was standing in here and I said, you know this. Okay, that's what Paul's saying. You, knowing this, that our old self, this is not talking about an old person. Okay, this is talking about the flesh before salvation. Our old self. Okay, has uh, was what crucified with him. Okay, nailed to the cross as if we were laying there uh, on top of him, getting those nails crushed into our hands and feet. We were crucified. That old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves. To sin. Okay? 
Paul just keeps compounding. We no longer are slaves. We have a new life in Christ. We're no longer enslaved. What do we believe this body of sin? That's a question, okay? There's some debates on it, and they're not heavy debates, okay? But the body of sin, what would that be? Let's turn back to where I constantly go to chapter 3, okay? Chapter 3. Yep, Romans chapter 3. There are six blanks there. You might find more. I found six, okay? I want you to read verses 13 uh, through 18, and let's, let's write out what body parts are being talked about here, okay? This is in the sin chapter, okay? This is what sinners do. This is, this is what uh, makes up a sinner, Okay, the body of sin that Paul's referring to here in verse 6. What body parts does he mention? Starting in verse 13. The throat, okay, is an open grave. What's the next part? The tongue, okay, that's your second one. The lips, okay, it has a lot to do with your mouth, doesn't it? That's the next one. Our feet. And what's our last one down there in verse number 18? Our eyes, okay? So the body of sin has to do with our throat, our, our tongue, our lips, our mouth, our feet, our eyes. It, it's from head to toe, right? This is, what, this is what the body of sin might be done away with. All of these things that characterize us as unbelievers uh, and, and as followers of the flesh. Okay? Um, our old self has been crucified. Very, very important. Uh, Galatians 2 and verse 20. This is a great verse. Galatians 2 verse 20. Galatians 5, 24 and 25. And Colossians 3, uh, 9 and 10. Okay? Uh, 9 and 10. Let's just turn for the sake of time. In your own study, you can go to those other ones. But let's turn just for the sake of time to Galatians 2.20. This is a uh, most likely a very familiar uh, chapter or verse for a lot of us. Okay? I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh in this mortal body I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me okay this is a great verse. I have it underlined. Uh, some, a verse that we should uh, have maybe put to memory. Okay, We live in the flesh, but we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself. We were crucified with Him. Paul constantly through his, his uh, epistles is bringing this thought up of we are crucified with Him. All right, verse number six. This, knowing this, that our old self, that cru- that we were crucified with him. Okay, same words, same understanding. In order that our body of sin that we just talked about might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Okay, we are crucified with him. We walk with him. We have a new life. And we are no longer enslaved, bound, uh, encapsulated by uh, the uh, of sin. We have the ability, because of Christ, to not sin. Now, we fail, and we fall into sin. Okay, I don't want you to think that because we have Christ. We can maybe achieve a sinless perfection. That is not what is being stated here. 
what's being stated here is we are no longer bound. We have the option to walk after Christ or walk after the flesh. And that's where sanctification and growing is so vital and important in our life. And where it comes back to where Paul says, uh, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. How may it never be? How shall we who died, and go, we've gone through all of that, live any longer in it? So the idea, those that have died to sin, okay, that, bond, band, that, that bondage of sin has been broken. We've died to that. We no longer have bound in it, live any longer in it, is the idea that we have taken those shackles and put them back on. Does that make sense? How are, how are those that have been freed from those shackles now putting them back on? That's not, we don't do that. Okay? That's not the believer's life. We don't live any longer bound in that. Verse number 7, For he who has died is freed from sin. And again, this is not giving us the idea that we will live a sinless life. We're freed from the bondage of sin. We now have a new life and a new, uh, the ability to walk after Christ, where before we, never, we did not have that ability. Okay? Amen. I did it, Dean. Okay, Dean's taking next week. He's got verses 8 through wherever he gets. I'm not going to even tell him where he has to get to. <laughs> okay? He's going to try to get through 11. So there we go. Okay? Well, let's pray and then we will enjoy our Sunday. Remember what I said? It is your responsibility to sing loud. Okay? Because my wife is not here to play. Lord, thank you again for your, your word. We thank you and love uh, that we can walk after you and that you have given us the free, you freed us from the bondage of sin. We no longer have to walk in it. And Lord, we owe everything to you. And we love you and thank you for that. In your name, amen.